welcome to Multiversal Q, your guide to the comic book multiverse. Now in podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Devin. And this week we're interviewing... Leah Williams. Hi! Hey, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, how are you? I'm doing fine. Doing well, thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your your introduction, I got excited. <laughs> It's okay. Not everyone has as great of a flow as Devin and I. We can finish <laughs> each other's uh, sentences. Yeah. That wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, so we have you on because you're going to be writing one of the upcoming uh, what-ifs from the new volume of What If that they're doing. You're also the writer on an upcoming X-Men Black and you did the X-Men Gold Annual that brought back together the famous universe-hopping team, Excalibur. Yes, that was one of the greatest honors of my life, um, being asked to write the 30th anniversary of a reunion of the Excalibur team. Um, but yeah, hi. So how did you end up getting into Excalibur as a comic um I used to work in a comic book shop in LA and we had these like 10 cent bins um of just like dead stock that couldn't move that kind of thing so sometimes I was always obsessed with it because sometimes you would find absolute treasures in there and um that's how I found Excalibur. Uh, I, I think it was just like some stuff that somebody had sold to the store or something like that. And it never got sorted appropriately. So then an employee was just like, okay, well, whatever, (laughs) this needs to go somewhere. So I'm going to stick it in the kind of catch all. Um, and it was just like the most joyful and goofy, um, you know, experience, like, I just love the family dynamic of the Excalibur team. And I was actually reading some of it earlier today, because I was looking up Kailun. Remember him? Yeah, the guy who was like a John Carpenter of Mars, but then he also had the power to make any sound. Yes, exactly. So he looks like an old bruise, right? Like he's purple. A what? He looks like an old bruise, like he's purple. Uh, uh, bruise? B-R-U-I-S-E, Luke, like he got hit. Oh! Uh, purple colored. Uh, I was just thinking of like, brew as in, or bruise, like multiple of brew from uh, Wolverine and <laughs> Yeah, he looks just like not... a giant anthropomorphic mug of beer. Um, no, I was I was reading Excalibur today because... I was talking to Chris Robinson, my editor on a lot of stuff, about whether or whether or not uh, Kailun is purple. I think he is. That has been like one of the weird gaps that I've had, or at least the later portion, because uh, earlier this or no, no, it was like actually a year ago I had gone to New York City and ended up reading through all of the claremont excalibur run on the bus nice and while i was in there which 
nothing like reading uh, Inferno while you're in New York City. Of course, of course. And so that's at the weird point after where Claremont has left. And for whatever reason, I think when they had it at that time, they didn't have that collected. Or I just hadn't picked up the collections. So yeah. I haven't gotten there yet, though I'm familiar with it through the Explain the X-Men coverage. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I don't know, I just kind of voted that I think he should be purple because it'll help distinguish him from Sabretooth. And in terms of other retcons, what do you think is really going to be that big of a deal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So you got into the series through the back bins, and I also understand that as a person who worked in uh, comic shops, because that as a series had so many great covers, like the uh, oh my one, gosh. the yeah. one with the dinosaurs looking at them in the museum. Yeah, and I think, um, I believe it's Excalibur number four. Um that's my favorite comic cover of all time. It's the one with the janitor and it's like breaking the fourth wall. Yes, yes. Um, I love it. It's such a like series that is its own entity. So I, I'm glad that you got to bring it back and I, I'd love to see more of it, especially with the new dynamic as like your comic talks a lot about how the family dynamic has changed within it just because people have gotten older and uh, mm-hmm. natural change. Oh yeah. I would absolutely love for it to come back to it's um, the original Excalibur lineup. That's actually Jordan D white's favorite mutant team up too. So I keep, you know, dropping hints every time I think I, I can see it happening in the, current comics like you know when i don't want to i guess spoil it for anybody who hasn't read x-men number 30 but certain life events cause kitty's life to you know take a different path um so maybe she's free now she's she's got nothing going on she could go over and cool her heels at the braddock lighthouse in the uk well and i mean that would be a really great thing especially if they wanted to center on sort of a voyage of self-discovery of literally being able to see what other versions of her have done. Exactly. There's so much there. Um, but I think the the timing wasn't quite right with some of the other characters and Jordan might be waiting for something when um, they're all available so that we can get Kurt and Rachel. And obviously they're not doing so well right now either. Um, and Betsy and uh everybody at the same time i think that would be cool oh definitely though i feel like on a level some of that whole excalibur mojo is being used over in exiles it is yeah it's got that same energy Mm -hmm. but it's still a very different dynamic and that's even a very different take than like a lot of the x or than a lot of the exile stuff that came before that's true. That's true. And uh, you also have uh, two new one shots that are coming up. You're doing the uh, Magic What If and then the Emma Frost Black. Yes. Um, so, what are some of the other like What If 
stories that have stuck with you or maybe uh, like helped you to figure out where you're going to go with this one? Well, with this one, it was actually something, the concept for it is uh, what my editor, Annalise Bisa, approached me with. And from the first email that I got from her, I was immediately and enthusiastically on board because it it was so simple, but so brilliant. Um, and I don't mean simple, like, you know, in a derogatory way, I mean, just strong. Um, mm-hmm. And I will never stop singing her praises about it. Um, so she like that, that was all her. And when people love it, I'm going to keep, you know, lobbing the ball back in her court. Um, so people can thank her because that's how I feel about it too. And for those who are unfamiliar, it's a, it's the premise of what if Ileana didn't join the new mutants or the X-Men? Yes. I think that is a fantastic premise because I mean, Marvel does have such a, wide universe that that could go any number of ways right exactly and you know with a character like Ileana, considering her backstory and and what she had just endured by the time she joined the new mutants um there's definitely a lot to explore there oh definitely and it is interesting that this hasn't come up before. I mean, there haven't been too many alternate universe Ilianas beyond like the ones that came out of the whole Dark Child and Inferno stuff. Mm-hmm. Not in the same way that like um, other characters are well known for the other paths that they took, like your Magnetos or your Wolverines or Jean Greys. Yeah, yeah, and she's definitely someone who hasn't gotten the kind of empowered spotlight that she could have, um, which is something I feel really strongly about with a lot of female characters. So the opportunity to be able to really focus on that and build her up, elevate her narrative, even if it's just in this one self-contained story, it was just exhilarating. Awesome. And then I know you're a big fan of Emma Frost, so you getting to do the yes. Emma Frost uh, one-shot for X-Men Black is very, very big. It, it is. It's easily the most terrifying thing that I've worked on this far. Um, I felt terrified the whole way, the whole time I was writing it. I I knew how high the stakes were, Um it was my first time working with somebody who wasn't Chris Robinson. It um, was my first time writing a full issue by myself. It was my first time writing something like this with Emma Frost, where, um, well, we were using, we're using my idea. It's my pitch, and... It's the first time that I've been able to do that at this level. And, you know, it's with Jordan D. White and, and Chris Bocciolo, and that alone is terrifying. Um, but it, it was just an intense and transformative experience for me working on that 
for all of those reasons, but also it was scary because it was the first time that I realized that um, loving a character is not enough. There, I've never felt it so keenly as when I was working on X-Men Black, Emma Frost, um, because I realized like, oh God, there is nothing rational about the way I feel about Emma Frost. Like it's, it's just devotion. Um, and navigating like those feelings and, and where I want to take her and the kind of, you know, loving depiction that I, I want to show with her and, and not just turn it into fan fiction, you know, like it's the Mm -hmm. first time I really noticed a difference, um, and, and had to like check myself and not give her these beautiful monologues and that kind of thing. Like I, I had to watch myself the whole time and I was scared from, I think right up until the point I got, uh, Chris Bachelot's reaction to the script. Um, I was terrified because I kept thinking like, there's no way they're going to let me get away with this. There's no way that they're going to let me manhandle the canon like this <laughs> in a way that, you know, I've obviously always wanted to. I've, I've been desperate to tell this kind of story with Emma for just so long. Um, but I thought I was like getting away with something and I, I will probably still stay scared <laughs> until like people are reacting to it because um, just the reactions in general to both the Emma Frost one-shot announcements and the magic um, announcement, being able, it put me in touch with people who feel about these characters the way that I feel about them. So, which is, you know, very strongly and I have an added sense of responsibility because I want to live up to expectations. Um, but it's never been so terrifying and exhilarating as it was with uh, the Emma Frost one shot because of how much she means to me. And I mean, that's like main continuity that you're adding to. That's not just a what if. Exactly. So you are well known through Twitter and through many other sites for having very strong and also very good headcanon. So what is your Emma Frost hill that other people are absolutely wrong about? My Emma Frost what? Your Emma Frost hill to die on. Something that most people are completely wrong about. Um, People... I... People don't understand her emotional intensity. They think she's a bitch and she's only like cold or I I don't want to say mean because sometimes she's just written incorrectly. Like sometimes Emma is just not being handled well. Um, But Emma Frost has what I call a brutal heart. She is radically compassionate and it's informed by having an abusive father and having a really 
traumatic upbringing and being taken advantage of by an older teacher when she was in high school and she like things that she didn't realize were so wrong and were an injustice to her until she was older and looking back on it and she kind of you know made a vow that she would never want children to suffer the same injustices that she did. That's why the way that, you know, that's why she became this way. It's, she was radicalized from these experiences. Um, so she has a walled off heart and only the, de- the deserving get in, but she loves fiercely, very fiercely. She's not just this like flat bitchy character. Um, she, only the deserving get in. And if she's mean to somebody, it's probably because they deserve it. That is such an, like, very good way of looking at the character. I mean, I came in through, like, Morrison's X-Men run, Mm -hmm. where it's, like... Even before then, I knew her through, like, people's reactions to her online. And that's not a good way to uh, learn about characters most of the time, or at least, like, in the mid to late 2000s. Oh, yeah, especially because, you know, if you're seeing people reacting to her online around that time, it's probably coming from, like, diehard Jean and Scott fans who were looking at her as the other woman, this homewrecker. When, you know, when you go back and look at the comics, they were starting to like sow the seeds of marriage dissolution between Jean and Scott way before Morrison's run. It, it happened. They set it up really nicely. They, you know, both Jean and Scott were separately thinking about their marriage falling apart and they were getting more distant and it it was going to happen. They were high school sweethearts they had never known other lovers well i mean scott had (laughs) if we're counting madeline Pryor, um but it it was kind of bound to happen and it was set up really nicely and then there was emma um and i i kind of arrived at my renewed appreciation for scott summers through emma like loving her allowed me to see what <laughs> what's so great about this character that I always thought was like an uptight wet blanket, but he's not. He's he's great and he's great for her. And that said, I hope they never get back together again. <laughs> I want them both to like move on, sow their wild oats. So then, like, who is your second choice for Emma? Are you a Namor Emma shipper? I don't understand why she has to be a romantic accessory for anybody. Like, this is something I feel for Jean Grey, too. Like, just let these ladies be single for a while. They don't have to be a girlfriend or, you know, they, they can be single. They, they can have their own stories without being a romantic accessory. Um, so I would love to see that happen with all of them. Emma Frost, Jean Grey, Domino, um, all of these female characters that usually show up as 
girlfriends and were at one point invented to be the girl or in Domino's case and Emma Frost's case, the hot girl. Um, I, it's time for them to move beyond that. Do you think a lot of that comes from guys writing uh, these female characters uh, giving a lot of interest. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's easier for like a straight dude to view these characters through a lens of like being a girlfriend or being a wife or being the girl and not necessarily let them have their own agency and self-determination. I mean, that said, like, these are X-Men comics. It's it's a soap opera. Everybody is going to be hooking up with each other. And it's it's dramatic and it happens. And I'm all for that. But I also think that before we rush, you know, Emma and Jean back into a relationship, they should have the opportunity to just stand on their own for a while and have their narratives be fleshed out in a way as individuals that we're still waiting to see with them. Um, And dear God, don't let any of them get back together with Scott. If he comes back, that's my (laughs) biggest hope. (laughs) Like they, everybody deserves better at this point. Everybody deserves to just move on. Um, I, I think that, I, there's a lot of people I could see Emma getting together with, but none of them are ones she's already been with. Very cool. Uh, Devin, do you have a question? I do. Um, I read your interesting article on Western movies, and I was curious if you're ever going to bring any like Western elements in any of your comics that you're writing. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I do have a pitch for like a creator owned thing that is a Western about a black cowboy. Um, but I haven't thought about it in terms of like any of the work that I've done for Marvel. It's just, it always has a place in my heart. So if I have the opportunity to, you know, put something in a Western setting, I will. I just haven't yet. Okay. Very cool. So, who of the X-Men would be the worst in a Western setting? Like, they get sent back in time to a stereotypical Hollywood-imagined Old West. Mm, Probably, hmm. I'm thinking in terms of who would say the wrong thing and get themselves shot. Because it's not Emma. Emma would be fine. She would like run a saloon. She'd be a madam. She'd be fine in the old west. Um, so would Kitty. So would Rachel. So would Jean. Would love it. Oh my God, he'd flourish. He's a swashbuckler. He'd be great. Um, I guess probably Hank, because they would look at him and be like, what the fuck? And then, you know, <laughs> I think the the X-Men who don't pass for human <laughs> would have a lot harder time. Well, and especially all of that fur in the desert would not be comfortable. 
Oh, exactly. Yeah. Well, then he's just going to get what he's doing right. his science talk. Yeah. And they would be like, what kind of highfalutin nonsense is this? And then there'd be at least one scene where he tries to recreate something and it goes bad and that gets the town to be even more suspicious of that strange group that showed up. That's true. That's true. Although I guess the other alternative is is Beast just like turning into this steampunk Batman because I could see that happening too. That would also be pretty dang good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe that's my next pitch. So you are also a prominent supporter of fanfic and fan theories, and I appreciate you doing that. That got me to start working on the Forge uh, fic that I'm working on right now. Nice. Yeah. Which has been a really nice thing to do, just to write toss it out for an audience and not need to work uh, or and not need to wait on uh, artists or editors or any of the other things that I normally have to wait with when doing podcasts or comics or oh, other yeah. creative And depending uh, on like the fandom that you're dropping your thick into, you can start getting like instant feedback on what you've written. That's something that can be, really validating definitely and i know so many of the problems that people have with fanfic are because a lot of dudes are assholes so i guess what would be your advice for people who have been tentative about getting into it and just need like an extra push to start because i mean more people are writing if nothing else gets more people to appreciate the craft and get more feedback and just present new ideas. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly why I do feel really passionately about fan fiction because that is how I got my start. I write for Marvel now, but I, it's because I um, started out blogging and writing fan fiction and fan fiction was really kind of the arena where I would go get stronger as a writer. I would like try out new techniques and, and practice and different tenses and different voices and see what worked and what didn't. And by doing it in the context, by doing it anonymously in the context of fan fiction with, you know, characters that I was comfortable with and knew really well, and being able to get feedback on that, um, it it made me a better writer than I would have been. And it made me very comfortable moving within fandom spaces. And it's definitely giving me an edge now as a Marvel writer because I kind of have a view of things from a ground level um, where I, I can see what people just like the same fandom spaces that I was moving through before I was writing for Marvel. I'm still active in them now. And it, it helps me um, with like what I'm, what I'm pitching and, and the stuff that I bring up, what I choose to include and what I'm writing. Um, it, it helps me understand what people like better. Um, what people are 
you know, really hungry for in their stories. And what are people hungry for in their stories? Um, authenticity. I, I'm not even joking. It's a hundred percent, just something really meaningful and authentic, not only to the characters, but in terms of like the human experience, because as we all know, mutinism isn't really an appropriate metaphor for civil rights anymore, especially not in a time when our own fellow American citizens are having their civil rights stepped on. Um, it's as women, as queer people, as people of color, it's, it's happening all around us. And the only way to really kind of bring the X-Men canon into the present day and make it click um, and, and just, you know, explode with popularity the way that it did initially is to make it resonate um, to make it resonate in a way that is because it's authentic. And I think Tom Taylor and X-Men Red right now is doing amazing work with this. And from what I know about um, everything that Jordan D. White has under his helm now that's going to start coming out in the fall, um, it's, it's going to push the rest of the way. It's, um, I'm really proud of all of the X-Men editors and the work that they've been doing there. They've just done a staggering amount of labor with um, what they're orchestrating. Yeah, I, I mostly follow X-Men through um, the X-Men Discord and Xavier Files and the news fights that I get. But I definitely see so many people who are now positive about the X-Men after being concerned with it for a while which is neat i've been like an outside x-men fan who has never had an easy time getting into the current stuff except for maybe during the wolverine and the x-men run also and, very good yeah yeah and so i like people who are being positive and i like the people who are being positive about comics yeah me too and i think that um it's it's something really important right now in the current political hellscape when uh, sort of like bipartisan politics are coming to a head on either side and it's nasty and it's tense. And what people need right now is they need to feel heard. They need to feel validated and they need to feel hope. And I don't think there's a more appropriate platform than to deliver something so significant than X-Men comics. Agreed. Uh, Devin, do you have any uh, questions? Would you be ever willing to pitch to Marvel a, your fan fiction ideas for an ongoing series of Kamala Khan's fan fiction? Because I don't know if you got a chance to read the Avengers annual from a couple of years ago where it was nothing but her fanfic work. Well, and other people's fanfic. Well, true. I have never considered that for myself, but I do think that is a very good idea. I, I think that should definitely be something that 
I guess the Avengers office would have to handle that. But that seems like it'd be, it could be a really cool thing. And I feel like it'd be something that would be better handled by people who have actually written fan fiction. Because like when you've got Mark Wade and Scott Kurtz writing what they think fan fiction stories are, it comes off as more of, oh, look at how silly this thing is, as opposed to like, look at how fun and enthusiastic this can be. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, that would be interesting to see. I feel like G. Willow Wilson, in the times that she's had um, Kamala bring up her fan fiction, like she gets it. Mm-hmm. And she treats the subject in a way that is, you know, it's it's goofy, but in the way that we're all sort of self-aware of how goofy it is anyway. Um, but it's also kind of lovingly rendered. And I always liked that about how they dealt with Kamala writing fan fiction, because I recognize it. <laughs> I see hmm. it. Uh, so we got some questions through the Twitter for you. Um, so scrolling uh, through uh, Xavier Files, who is at Xavier Files, wants to know, how hard is it to shitpost about X-Men as good as you do? <laughs> I didn't think you'd ask, actually ask me this one. I saw that come in, and I don't know how to answer that. It's like, this is... He's he's teased me about this before, like, shitposting about X-Men, and it's... Um, I, I always say that you guys validate me too much that I used to keep this shit in the dark over on Tumblr, which is a more appropriate venue for it. But because you all are so encouraging, you know, I started getting all messy on on Twitter in front of my editors and my mom and like, they all see this now, thanks to you guys just recklessly encouraging me. Um, I, I don't know why I'm like this. <laughs> I have no answer. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with it, though. Out of curiosity, has there been anything that has gotten close to the line, not to where they'd be like, uh, please remove this post about Magneto's junk. But like anything close where it's like, uh, yeah, if you're writing for Marvel, please don't post this. No, they they don't they don't even really pay attention to what I'm doing unless I like tag them in it. But I will say I um I got to record the This Week in Marvel podcast just before FlameCon. So it was my first time touring the Marvel offices and I met Ryan Penagos, um, who is one of the hosts of this podcast, and he's also like the VP of, um, he's the vice president and creative executive of Marvel's new media department. And he's a great guy. He's awesome. And I I had a great conversation, um, with the people on this podcast. We just like geeked out about Marvel stuff and he started following me on Twitter that day. And, um, normally, when like important people follow me, I 
I leave like a grace period where I, I don't act up the first few days that somebody really cool and new is following me. Um, but this was during FlameCon, so I was just like overexcited and I forgot that he just started following me. So without thinking, I posted about this, and it's not even X-Men related, but I posted about this list that I've been compiling in my head that I, I don't understand yet what the connection oh, is. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> Tub Girl and Goatsy and Lemon Party and Blue Waffle. And <laughs> so, yeah, he unfollowed me after that. <laughs> and when I realized it, I was like, okay, that's fair. That's that's totally <laughs> fair. I forgot. <laughs> and I'm I'm still pretty embarrassed about it, but like that's that's what I get. <laughs> oh, I had had a joke uh for you, but I realized that I forgot which letter of the alphabet the 14th one was because I thought it was M. So I was going to be like, well, what do you think Ryan Pentagos is made up of? What is the alchemy of being 14? 14. Cause I thought it was M and he's agent M, but it makes no sense. Man, that is a deep cut joke though. That's like, that's on a whole nother level. <laughs> Cause you had written a book of that title for people who are not getting the oblique reference I'm making. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's got several levels to it right there. Uh, so Mortal Finlay number one, uh, Finn Carter wants to know who is the best all Iliana, in your opinion. Um, so it's Siege Iliana, uh, written by Kieran Gillen because her soulmate, her wifey, is named Leah spelled the same way as my name and it was illustrated by Philippe Andrade who is doing the art for my what if magic one shot and in this alternate universe we get a panel of Ileana and Leah of Hell kissing and the caption is Ileana and Leah K-I-S-S-I-N-G um and I love it. <laughs> How could I not? How could that not be my answer? Very true. Um, Devin, I'll also throw this question over to you, though I am 99% sure I know what it is. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, the Exiles Ileana? I do enjoy Exiles Ileana. She's just kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Though there's also that time she just got tossed into the ocean for like five minutes. And that time she kind of knocked uh, Black Panther's son off that pyramid because. Yeah. We have a lot of headcanon about the uh, Ileana who Chuck Austin introduced into his Exiles run when he was like on it for six issues. Mm-hmm. Cassidy, who's at Cassidy1222, wants to know what is your favorite fictional universe? Comic or TV? Um, I I feel like there's two 
many. I There's lots of fictional universes that I can stay immersed in to the point of, you know, just never coming up for air uh, and like writing fan fiction and that kind of stuff. I have a Valor Morghulis tattoo. So the A Song of Ice and Fire novels always deserves a mention. Um, Dragon Age is another one. I've played like over a thousand hours between the three games in the Dragon Age franchise. Um, oh yeah, it's nuts. I just keep making new wardens and new hawks and new inquisitors and like playing it over and over and over again. I don't know why. Um, and I, I would say like the X-Men universe, but it's so dangerous. It's it like more so than Game of Thrones, full of more hazard, I would say. Um, and then my only other answer, so Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins, that's her name, right? Julie Andrews. Mm -hmm. She wrote a book called The Last of the Really Great Wang Doodles. And it was one of my favorite books as a kid. Um, I I still have it on my shelf now. It's, it's like a chapter book, like a kid's book, but Mm. it's just wildly imaginative and i i still love it well uh canonically speaking because devin and i have been ranking every alternate universe that we've covered on this show uh we both have what if j jonah jameson adopted spider-man as ours oh yeah that's interesting i love jonah Chip Zdarsky has been doing the most amazing Jameson recently. Oh my God. Yes. He, I, I wish he could write like the Peter Parker verse forever. Oh, same. I heard he's leaving yeah. soon. I've been really sad about that. Yeah, but it's obviously going to be for something bigger and badder. So fingers crossed True. he's, he's coming over into the X office. <laughs> I want Chip on our team. Who would you want to see Chip do a solo series of in the X-Men universe? Um, Dakin. It'd be so fucked up, but it'd be amazing. <laughs> well, I just immediately went to Dakin brimping and it's like, I, why did my mind go there? Because <laughs> it works. It does. It unfortunately does. <laughs> Uh, Wheelchair X, who is at one Wheelchair X, wanted to know if you had to kill off one X character that could never be resurrected, who would it be? Oh, that's mean. Oh, that's such a mean question to ask. Um, uh, okay, I mm, no, I'm not gonna say that. That would get me in trouble um wait good guys or bad guys like between the two uh it does not define alignment uh okay spiral 
Not a spiral curse. I, I'm just trying to like pick some low hanging fruit because I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to kill anybody. <laughs> I, I would prefer to, to keep them all, but um, if someone's going to die, it might as well be a bad guy who we can have another one of. Well, I mean, uh, Zdarsky's Howard the Duck did introduce, I forget what the male version of Spiral was in that one. Yes, exactly. It's already taken care of. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't like, oh, wait, no, Josh Guthrie is not currently alive. You wouldn't try and just knock off one of the sort of irredeemable or just very poorly infamous messed up characters i you mean like the bad guys well or just characters who have been like solely defined by a single event like a josh guthrie no because i i have a lot of compassion for these characters i feel very sorry for them so if there's like an underdeveloped character who you know, we saw once in a few issues and then never saw again. Um, I'm like ride or die for them. And I, I love taking characters like that and imagining all of these possibilities for them because they're really the ones who have the most direction to go in. Um, and it, it's something you see a lot of with like underdeveloped female characters, like we were talking about before, uh, but not so much with your Scots and Logans. Um, you know, they have very strong arcs. So those guys, those, you know, small fries, uh, they're mine now. I'm, I'm not giving those up. Uh, Devin, do you have an answer? I don't really care for Wolverine. Hot take. <laughs> you are so brave for saying that out loud. You know, I was actually going to say I'd be fine getting rid of a uh, main universe Sabretooth. Really? Mm-hmm. I think that he's done a lot of awful stuff over the years, but as a threat, he's just sort of been all over, and when they've tried to make him interesting by making him good. It's like, you've already got Age of Apocalypse Sabretooth for that. You're kind of diluting this character who, at least for a while, lost Wolverine, who lost Logan, who I, I'd say is his biggest uh, enemy. And yeah, I, I have not read a lot of recent stuff since like maybe the stuff in Deadpool uh, with Sabretooth in it. But yeah, no, I'd say knock off Sabretooth, bring in some new characters who... Like Kyloon. <laughs> Purple Sabretooth. Hunky, hunky sound effect. Yes. Purple Sabretooth. Yes, voice like an angel when he wants it to be. Exactly. Okay, I can I can get on board with that. I'll... That's a good answer. <laughs> <sighs> Devin, why did you just text me the words Daddy Charles? Oh, for a character to kill off. Oh. Yeah, I, I think Professor Xavier 
could also be killed off permanently. He has been, though. He comes back, though. I mean... It's been a long time. It's been a really long time. Is he still dead? Yeah. Oh, dang. Yeah. But didn't his mind come back in someone? Um, in Cassandra Nova, but that was a long time ago. Okay, I know he died off in with the uh, AVX stuff. But I thought there had been something where he like got resurrected more recently. Well, I mean, there was... Uh, we saw him in heaven with Kurt mm-hmm. and he was like helping Kurt out and, and trying to convince him not to engage in this fight with Azazel and whatever, because he would lose a part of his soul. But I don't, I don't remember him coming back to life. Maybe I just missed those. No, you probably or could have been better than I would. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm fine with Professor Xavier staying dead forever. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, I think that the the world that he and Magneto, kind of the opposing world of mutants, um, they created together just by opposing each other. There's... It, that's that's strong. We don't need to like dig up this dead man and keep exploring it because his legacy is still existing. Um, we're still seeing the consequences of it. And I think that by leaving him dead, uh, it gives us a chance to mythologize him a little more over the years and, and kind of turn him into this this different sort of figure, um, something kind of more true <laughs> to the effect of his worldviews and, and what he's left behind. Well, and I also feel like with him dead, there's more opportunities for other viewpoints to come in because if it always just gets framed as Magneto versus Xavier's ideologies or Wolverine versus Cyclops, it's very right. limiting, but I think if you have one of those forces, but then a gap on the other side, you can actually like be like, oh, maybe Cable is right here, or what ideas does Gene have? Right, exactly. Um, and I, I think that there's quite a few mutants who are still many of them X-Men still standing who would have been radicalized from growing up under Xavier's thumb or encountering Magneto at too young an age. I I think that the next generation of big baddies, we've got all of the necessary elements to make that happen, except for the nostalgia factor and, you know, getting people to like these new characters as much. Um, but it's, it can be done. A good, good reply. 
uh, Forge on Vacation, who's at Q's and Tancers, wants to know, uh, a Forge role-playing account wants to know, do I suck? No. Definitely not. A good, good <laughs> reply. How could I say anything else? Of course not. You said a Forge role-playing account? Yes, a Forge role-playing account. I feel like that that alone is is very strong evidence of, of why they're awesome. And our last question we got is from uh, Devin and I's mutual friend, Andrew Young, who is A.W. Young 1991, uh, who wants to know what would be your ideal X team to write and which characters would you have on it? But I feel like that's something that you'd want to keep hidden or like keep packed away. So what's your like C team? Well, I've already it's... said it on this yeah. same recording. It's the original Excalibur lineup plus Betsy now. Um, that's That would be my, I think, top, top most goals of who I'd want to write. Awesome. Well, do you have any questions for Devin or I? Um, no, I, I can't think of any. I didn't prepare questions. I'm sorry. That's totally fine. I was going to for answers. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to get with these. Al Ewing came on and he got a role-playing game adventure view. Uh, Chris Sims and Chad Bowers came on and they ended up just asking me questions for most of the time. And then Xavier Files got pulled on. So <laughs> we're a experimental podcast here in our third plus year of covering every alternate universe ever. Well, good for you guys. You're doing awesome work. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, where can you be found online? I'm on Twitter. My monster is chic, uh, C-H-I-C, or you could just search Leah Williams. And then I'm hand axe with an E everywhere else. And my website is leahmedia.com. And when are your two new issues coming out on halloween they both come out on the same day it's terrifying that's spectacular <laughs> uh so Devin, where can people find you, you online? can find me online at fredo fett that's f-r-e-d-d-o-f-e-t-t and luke where can people find you you can find me online on twitter at at coltreg that's k-o-l-t-r-e-g or at lukehair uh, dot com. And you can also find both of us over on the exiled actual play role-playing game podcast that we do with other friends. Uh, Multiversal Q is a weekly podcast where we try and cover different universes every week. And occasionally we'll go into theme months uh, starting next week. We are kicking off Septangent, where we are going to be covering all of the Tangent comics from uh, DC. So that is going to be an event. Uh, you can find more about us at multiversalq.com, where we have image galleries, the ranking of every universe that we've rated, and more. Uh, Leah, thank you again for coming out of the podcast. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next week. This one's for Hank.